0: Well, hello there, and thanks for tuning in to HC Conversations, a podcast where we have discussions around faith, life, politics, and more, and how to navigate those things as a follower of Jesus. You'll also find audio from weekly messages at hope. Community. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. Let's jump in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the HC Conversations right. podcast. We're excited to dive into our conversation today. Uh, last week, we started into somewhat of a series looking at some of the parts and pieces of uh, American Christianity especially that seem somewhat problematic, um, that explain how we got to where we are, uh, reasons that many people want nothing to do with Christianity or the church. and so
1: Maybe a reason why you want nothing to do with Christianity or the church. Yes.
0: So we started off last week kind of talking about really I, I think where we have to start as far as how we got to where we are, and it's this idea of fundamentalism. Um, Christian fundamentalism and in the problems that that presents. So go ahead and listen to that episode if you haven't yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, this week, we're moving into a very fun topic.
1: Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum.
0: We're going to talk today why um, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have to be a conservative Republican. Everybody knows that. Everybody absolutely knows that. And so that's just a statement I'm going to make, and mm-hmm. uh, we'll see you back here next week.
1: Right. right. That, that's our podcast.
0: That's our podcast, Vote Red. I'm just kidding. Uh, some of you are really mad because you're wondering if I'm kidding or not. I am kidding. Uh, and some of you are, are mad because you can tell that I'm being sarcastic and I'm stepping on your toes a little bit. Uh, but we're going to get into mm-hmm. why that's not actually true, why that hasn't always been the case, where the whole religious right and the moral majority came from, and uh, understanding that it's a relatively new phenomenon. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, so we are going to start, uh, again, kind of like we did last week, on a little bit of a history lesson to understand, really, this tangled web that as we get into it, I think, and I hope that you'll be just as disgusted (laughs) as we are, um, or
0: you may just end up confused. <laughs> you might end up confused. It and, might
1: make you feel dirty inside.
0: Uh, it's like, oh, it's gross. It's just disgusting. It's this, ah, uh. yeah. So, so let's begin. Let's begin. So today's story begins. <laughs> Gather round, children, <laughs> for a story. So there is this idea, and there's this thinking, and um, it's certainly more popular in certain pockets. If you're, uh, if you're from the south, if you're from a small town or a rural area, it's more. I guess, more prominent, this idea of, well, yes, if you're a Christian, you are a, you're a conservative, you're a Republican, you know, you have very conservative leanings, and everybody just kind of, and I'll actually, I'll also say that's kind of the popular narrative, um, I I think, from just the general population as well, and also, like, mainstream media, because it's like, well, that's what it seems like. They're just all very, very conservative, Mm -hmm. Um, and we just kind of take that as as fact, or we take that That, as, like, well, yeah, it's always been that way.
1: Right, and that's just who we are maybe you know you grew up and you weren't really sure you know that there that there was any other option Uh, that's just like okay i'm a christian so then that means that i'm a republican and i'm a conservative and i like these people over here instead of that group of enemies over there
0: okay so we want to talk about where that came from and first start with this idea that it wasn't always that way
1: no which is fascinating
0: Uh, At the turn of the 20th century, so the early 1900s, and this really started picking up steam um, in the early to mid-1800s, but followers of Jesus were considered very socially progressive at the turn of the century. Um, they were behind and pushing forward many ideas such as uh, like labor rights. You know, there was a lot of mistreatment of workers and stuff in factories during this time. The Industrial Revolution had come through mm-hmm. in terrible working conditions. It was Christians that pushed for labor reform. It was a lot of Christians that pushed for um, women's suffrage, the right to vote. Uh, it was a lot of Christians that, that were pushing forward these different ideas because there was the thought of we're followers of Jesus we want to bring the kingdom of god here on earth Mm -hmm. and the way that we do that is through uh systems it's through through government which is just a hugely different way of thinking than we think today um we're so individualistic today we think well if we want to bring the kingdom it's just all about individuals i've got to be a good person or like a godly person and try to get others but don't mess with government, don't mess with systems, because government is very, very, very bad. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, a hundred years ago, that was, was not the case. There were Christians in government pushing for social reforms that reflected gospel values.
1: Right. Uh, there is even uh, a publication, it's still around today, because I just Googled it, called Google. the, uh, the Christian Century, that, um, you know, we can bring the kingdom of God in the 20th century and that it will be the Christian century.
0: Oh, see, there you go. Yeah. And and it's good to show you maybe how much influence that kind of thinking has lost because I've never heard of the Christian century.
1: I only heard about it in college when we were talking about stuff like this.
0: But again, at the turn of the the 20th century in the early 1900s, this was like very, very common Christian thought, pushing Mm -hmm. for social reform. Right, very progressive. A social social gospel. Now, some people hear social gospel and they think, well, that's terrible, that's terrible. It's Mm -hmm. not when it flows out of, you know, Gospel living, right? Like, okay, right. I'm following Jesus. I've given my allegiance to Him. The natural overflow of that is, I want to be a person of light. I want to bring the kingdom of God values here, to um, to the earth. Now, go ahead. You look like you're about to well, say something.
1: Well, let's unpack social gospel a little bit because we say that and we just assume that people understand what social yeah, gospel true. is. So, social gospel is taking the the good news of the kingdom of God and applying it to social reform social aspects of our, of our life, of our community. Um, things like caring for the poor, caring for, you know, feeding the hungry and, um, social justice, things like, you know, civil rights, Mm -hmm. like, uh, rights and equal treatment, uh, and, you know, equal pay for women, for people of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, that, that would be like social gospel movements,
0: right? It's taking this idea of, The world around me, like, you don't have to be a follower of Jesus. You don't have to believe what I believe, but I'm going to try to institute the ways of Jesus as far as how he would treat people, how he cared Mm -hmm. for the poor, how he cared for the oppressed, like the way that he saw every single human being and apply that not just to our interpersonal relationships, but to systems as well.
1: Right, because it was and is good news for all people, the way that God's kingdom is supposed to work.
0: Now there's like kind of a divide a lot of times in the church today where we've taken the gospel to just be, it's just about salvation, like Mm -hmm. personal salvation and personal morality. I, I put my personal faith in Jesus. He saves me. And so now I'm going to try to be a morally good person and it has no, um, implications for life around me. So Mm -hmm. that's a very kind of segmented way of thinking It's not at all how Jesus, uh, operated in his day it's not how the early church operated it was right. like they were radically transformed and because of that their communities were radically transformed right and well.
1: that's definitely uh, i know kind of how i was influenced to think and was i guess kind of raised to think is that the gospel is all about just you know you yourself personal salvation and social gospel was a, a watered down version whatever watered down meant You didn't
0: see it, but Paul was air quoting there for water. It it was a
1: a cheapened version of the gospel. It wasn't the real thing.
0: Right. Yeah. So it's an oversimplification of the gospel to just say, okay, my faith is in Jesus. so I'll go to the good place and not the bad place. And now the rest of my life, I'll just try to be a good person. Mm -hmm. Um, And unfortunately, that's how many, not only outside the church, but many in the church think, well, that's what Christianity is. And
1: that is part of it, but it's an incomplete picture of what the good news of the kingdom of God is.
0: Right. We're bringing the kingdom. So that is social gospel in a nutshell. It is an outflowing of a personal relationship with Jesus that wants me to influence every sphere of life using whatever means possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And so at the turn of the century, Christians were very much pushing for this kind of social reform. And actually, it went back even into the 1800s, um, the the push for um, the abolition of slavery. Uh, Things like prohibition were kind of driven out of this because alcoholism was rampant and tearing families apart. And so they're like, hey, we've, let, let's try to do something. Now, not necessarily everything they did was good, but there was a heart to, we want you know the ways of Jesus to just saturate the world. And a person that was really big on this, as we kind of bring this back into the, the political sphere, was a guy that we talked about last week. Uh, so maybe this name will sound familiar, William Jennings Bryan. Um, he was a, uh, a secretary of, I don't remember, just lost it. I want to say maybe state, state. Um, but also uh, just a, just a politician. He was um, uh, big in the Democratic Party uh, in the late 1800s into the early 1900s. He actually ran as the the Democratic uh, candidate for president a couple times and lost. However, his ideas stuck. So he ran in 1896. This is a long time ago. Um, And here is just just, um, a quote from an article. And all these articles will be linked in the show notes. Um, So if you want to check these out, I would encourage you to do that. But, But here's what we read. The campaign of 96, that's 1896, was a turning point for the Democrats. Brian did as much as anyone to transform his party into the citadel of liberalism we identify with Franklin Delano Roosevelt and his ideological descendants. He would go on to make two more failed runs for president, that being Brian, um, and played a major role in writing every party platform through 1912. Both Woodrow Wilson's progressivism and Roosevelt's New Deal carried Brian's political DNA. He championed the direct election of senators, a graduated federal income tax, pure food and drug laws, federally insured bank deposits, a ban on corporate campaign contributions, regulation of the stock market, corporate income tax, the right to organize and government ownership of the railroads. All of that from a very fundamental Christian mm-hmm. was pushing for these kind of progressive political reforms. Now. If a Christian did that today, pretty much every other like conservative Christian would say, "Well, you're not a real Christian. They you would, can't they do would those be things."
1: Figuratively, or maybe real, like physically crucified.
0: Yeah, because uh, just in general, I like Christians. A lot of Christians, I won't say all, um, but conservatives definitely don't necessarily see FDR as uh, in a great light with the New Deal. They think it was bad. And you can have your own opinion on that. But what's interesting is a lot of the ideas for that came from William Jennings Bryan. It came from this idea of, I'm a follower of Jesus, and we want to see the world better. Mm -hmm. So I I guess starting there is a really good place to understand it's not all, it it hasn't all, Christians haven't always been conservatives. They were very much on the progressive uh, end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And then we get to what we talked about last week.
1: All right, so last week we talked about uh, fundamentalism versus evangelicalism, and the evangelicals kind of it remained a little bit more active in the political realm. Um, while the fundamentalists, uh, their tendency is to withdraw and uh, you know, kind of stay out of you know, the, the, the political life and to wage war against the culture. But then all that changed in the was it 1970, yeah, 1970s. Um, and uh, that's where we're going to go next.
0: Right, so Christians had kind of gone into hiding for a while, like we're just going to ignore the culture. But then something happened and they thought well we've got to take political power once again
1: right you have the passage of roe v wade right Right. that's that's really what started all this
0: that is what we're told that was what i Mm -hmm. always understood growing up that the thing that formed the religious right and the moral majority was roe v wade 1973 um You know, abortion is legal and we have to fight against this. So by golly, us good Christian people are going to rise up and vote to stop abortion.
1: Right. But that's not actually what happened. It actually got its start way before that um, with the uh, start of segregation schools and uh, particular individuals, most notably Jerry Falwell and Bob Jones, upset that the government was trying to tell them what to do with their private segregation schools. Um, Bob Jones University in 1970 received a letter by the IRS asking them if they um, were desegregated. And they defiantly said, no, we are not. No,
0: we are not.
1: Um, And so after this, you see uh, Bob Jones forced to segregate. Uh, You see private schools uh, again, forced to segregate or desegregate, 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 sorry, to desegregate. Um, and a lot of Southern uh, fundamentalists are very upset about this.
0: Right. What, what happened? Well, I mean, cause this drug on for a while that, um, schools were like these private segregation academies were told, Hey, you've got to integrate. Um, and Bob Jones was kind of like the final straw mm-hmm. and, uh, they were told, you need to, you need to. And they are like, we're not going to, we're not going to. And the IRS actually removed their tax-exempt status as a religious school. And boy, oh boy, if that wasn't the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, it was. So what happens then is that is really what ends up launching the moral majority and the religious right. As Paul said, uh, Jerry Falwell, Bob Jones, and others— the thing that really upset them, it was not Roe v. Wade, which came in 73. It was the government saying, you cannot be a whites-only school and be tax-exempt. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're, You're going to lose your tax-exempt status. So either um, you either integrate or, you, again, you lose your tax-exempt. Right.
1: And so in a way to try to figure out how to stop the government from you know, telling them what to do, they needed the support of other... Evangelicals, other fundamentalists, and the way to get their support wasn't by saying, hey, the government is making us desegregate, but finding another issue that would touch on a nerve that struck uh, those people. And that nerve was the idea of family values that are uh, the moral decay uh, or the moral fabric of our society is unraveling because at this time uh, they were very against um, feminism. They were against Roe v. Wade, and also gay rights. And so those were kind of the three things that they began to point out and a champion, um, to rally people around, uh, you know, kind of government interfering with, with their segregation academies.
0: Right, and so for several years, this kind of small group of Christian air quote Christian leaders fundamentalists evangelicals are trying to find that thing what can we unite everyone around Um, and they had a hard time finding it until they were able to kind of do okay the the world's are like our family values are falling apart abortion is is the the big issue and everyone began to rally around that Um, I'm looking for a quote right now so if you have anything that you want to add Uh, I
1: think I know what quote is it from the Politico article is okay um so until roe v wade uh, evangelicals considered or were considered to be indifferent to the subject of abortion they considered it to be a catholic issue um but then in 1971, interestingly enough, delegates to the Southern Baptist Convention in St. Louis passed a resolution encouraging Southern Baptists to work for legislation that will allow the possibility of abortion under such conditions such as rape, incest, clear evidence of severe fatal deformity, and careful ascertained evidence of the likelihood of damage to the emotional, mental, and physical health of the mother. The conventionally hardly a readout of liberal values reaffirmed that position in 1974, one year after Roe versus Wade, and again in 1976.
0: Okay, so that was the Southern Baptist Convention saying we it's not we're not concerned about it, not that big of a deal. Like it's a private personal decision. Um, another quote came down a few years. Later, uh, so when the, it says, when the road decision was handed down, W.A. Criswell, the Southern Baptist Convention's former president and pastor of First Baptist in Dallas, Texas, also one of the most famous fundamentalists of the 20th century, was pleased. And this is his quote. He said, I've always felt that it was only after a child was born and had a life separate from its mother that it became an individual person, he said. And it has always, therefore, seemed to me that what is best for the mother and for the future should be allowed. If your
1: jaw didn't just hit the floor, um, I don't know what will. Because it's these are fundamentalist Christians that that made those statements in
0: 1973 when Roe was passed. They didn't have a problem with it. Mm -hmm. In fact, the only the only group of like religious group of Christians that have been consistently pro-life before Roe v. Wade, after Roe v. Wade, has been the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. But nobody else really cared all that much
1: until. You have Bob Jones and Jerry Falwell.
0: Yes. And actually, it wasn't even an instant thing. Roe v. Wade was passed in 73. It was about five years later in mm-hmm. 1978 that this became um, the issue that they were looking to to grab hold of, to kind of push forward this uh, idea of the religious right and the moral majority. And there was a uh, there's another... Uh, religious conservative political leader. Um, his name's Paul Wyrick. He was a political activist and the co-founder of the Heritage Foundation. So, if you're familiar with um, American conservative politics, you've probably heard of the Heritage Foundation. Um, in looking for something to unite this voter block, this is a quote from him. Listen to this. He says, the new political philosophy must be defined by us conservatives in moral terms, packaged in non-religious language, and propagated throughout the country by our new, our new coalition. Uh, this was written in the mid-70s. When political power is achieved, he said, the moral majority will have the opportunity to recreate this great nation. Um, Weirich believed that the political possibilities of such a coalition were unlimited. The leadership, moral philosophy and workable vehicle are at hand, just waiting to be blended and activated. If the moral majority acts results could well exceed our wildest dreams. And so just from that quote, just that idea. And again, we're, we're, as we wrap this up, you'll understand we don't really have a political agenda behind this, but that quote, that idea just, it tells you from the very beginning, the foundings of the moral majority really had nothing to do with morals. No. It had everything to do with political power. There was a group that said, we want to take political power. We want to push forward our agenda. And we see a an entire untapped group of people that we can use as our pawns. Mm-hmm. And those people are you and me. They're followers of Jesus. They're evangelical Christians. And they said, hmm, if we can they're, find they're something... White. That yeah, that's an Christians. important distinction that we'll we'll get to towards the end, but this idea of like if we can tap that there there is unlimited power and potential if we can get them in line if we can unify all of them behind our platform.
1: Right, and then you in the it's 1980 election you have Ronald Reagan versus Jimmy Carter, and uh, the fundamentalists or not fundamentalists the religious right and moral majority was very much against Jimmy Carter because he just wasn't just wasn't the the right guy for for them even though he was an no, evangelical he was crazy. legitimately born again taught Sunday school still teaches Sunday school every single yeah. Sunday
0: Jimmy Carter elected in 1976 Time Magazine runs an article in the like the cover of Time Magazine says 1976 the year of the evangelical Jimmy Carter becomes president southern baptist Sunday school teaching he's like almost 100 years old and still works on Habitat for Humanity houses like you you may not have agreed if you were alive with maybe like his, um, some of his policy, but like to criticize like his character, like who Mm -hmm. he is as a person, as a follower of Jesus. And yet, man, I've heard conservative Christians, like they hate him. Mm -hmm. I hate Jimmy Carter. It's like, well, okay. Well, first of all, I didn't think you were supposed to hate people if you're a follower (laughs) of Jesus. Um, but it's just this, this crazy thing uh, of like, this is someone who Christians should have considered. He's one of us. Mm -hmm but they quickly, quickly turn on him. And a lot of that had to do with the work of the religious right right, um, and the things that were being put out. They
1: quickly threw their support behind Ronald Reagan, uh, less than three months beho- before the election. Uh, although Reagan, you know, he wasn't the perfect conservative. He was better than Carter, they thought. Right. This um, is
0: this is interesting. So this is um, uh, Paul Weirich again on the, the conservative political movement um, it says a conservative political movement, okay, which is why several years into President Jimmy Carter's term, he and other leaders um, of the religious right blamed the Democratic president for the IRS actions against segregated schools. So in other words, it's like, okay, it's Jimmy Carter's fault that, you know, you're losing your tax-exempt status because you want to remain segregated. <laughs> Even though the policy was actually mandated by Nixon— Uh, And Bob Jones University had lost its tax exemption a year before Carter was inaugurated as president. It didn't matter. He Mm -hmm. became their fall guy, which is just crazy. Anyway, you were saying.
1: I lost my train of thought. Uh,
0: I know. I I interrupted you. Yeah, you did. But But there's just this idea of we found the person that we are going to blame. And so let's direct that. And so we're, we're looking to push this kind of agenda. And again, 1978 was a big year. Uh, this is five years after Roe v. Wade. Um, and so this is a time when the, the steam and the momentum against abortion um, is, is starting to build as far as religious uh, people in the country go, and just the the general population as well. And so in 1978, there were a couple of, um, I believe House of Representative seats, um, or the Senate seats actually, where pro-life candidates won. And so now the religious right starts to see, oh, this is a thing that we can really tap into. And everything, as you were saying, kind of came to a head in 1980, mm-hmm. like when, when Reagan was first elected.
1: Now, interestingly enough, uh, Ronald Reagan signed uh, into law uh, when he was governor of California in 1967, the most liberal abortion bill in the country.
0: Right. So again, just the, the picture between Reagan and Carter. Carter mm-hmm. is the Southern Baptist, Sunday school teaching, born-again Christian. Ronald Reagan, I'm not trying to, to, to knock him, but... Um, a lot of historians say he was, he was a pretty good president, right? A lot of good stuff happened. But in terms of, like, how Christians view presidents, Reagan was, like you just said, signed into to law one of the most uh, liberal abortion bills. He um, signed the first no-fault divorce. Like, his state of California, when he was governed, was the first no-fault divorce nation. He himself was divorced. He was an, an actor from Hollywood. It's like... Ronald Reagan. That that's but that's the guy that's like he's our guy, right? He's there.
1: our guy. They were willing to overlook his moral failings because he said that he would uh, work, you know, towards unconstitutional regulatory and th- items. And
0: that's where the fight for a lot of conservative Christians really became. It came it became less about enacting faith and more mm-hmm. about government is bad. Right. Government, government is it overstepping
1: very its bounds and telling us what to do.
0: And and Reagan was great at like um, the jokes and the charm. I mean, he was an actor. And so like one of the, one of the things he was famous for saying, he told this joke, it was something like, um, the scariest thing you hear or whatever. Someone comes to you and says, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Like this idea that no, the government never helps anything. Now you hold that in comparison to progressive Christians in, in the early 1900s that say, no, we want to use government Mm -hmm. to help bring the ways of Jesus. And now fast forward, 60 70 years and government is very 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 bad. The goal is to have as little of that as possible. And if you have that political view, that's fine, but don't blend that with Christianity. Don't right. say that you have to have that political view to be a follower of Jesus.
1: Mm-hmm. And the the ironic and the I guess sad sad thing is that while those of the moral majority wanted a you know less government interference, they They didn't really. They wanted it as long as it benefited them and their political ideologies. Um, And it really wasn't necessarily about the kingdom of God. It was more about what made life easy for them. And I think we see a lot of that still today for the religious right, the moral majority. Um, It's not about necessarily helping the most people, but it's about making life easy for me.
0: Well, let's just, I mean, just look at that across. It doesn't matter really if you're a person of faith or not the vast majority of people in America go to the voting booth with this in mind, who's going to do the most good for me. Right? Like which, which party, which candidate is going to make, make my life better, put more money in my pocket, protect my rights. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's how we approach things. Like it's a self-centered way of thinking. Um, and Christians do the same thing. Like right. what's gonna be better for me? What's gonna be better for other Christians? What's gonna be better for like me, my tribe, people that look like me, think like me, you know, what's gonna, what's gonna take less taxes out of my pocket, all of these things. Um, when I mean the call of a follower of Jesus is, wait, it's not about me. No, it's about you. And and again, this is where faith has become so hyper-individualized in America and Western thinking in general that we don't think about how it affects other things, because we know in our personal lives, like everyone's like, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to think of others before mm-hmm. myself. But somehow we draw this weird line that when it's my personal life, I think of others before myself. But when it's like anything else, right. when it's how I view the world, when it's how I view politics, I don't think of others before myself.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all about, all about me and mine and making life easy for, for me and the people closest to me.
0: So just kind of finishing up on the 1980 election. I know we're going through a lot of information. There's way, way, way more that we can go into, um, but we're just trying to give you a snapshot of this. Uh, and so th- this is this is interesting. I if I can find it. See, right now what I'm doing is I'm stalling to, to find the, the part of the article that I'm looking for. Okay, oh, Okay, so here we go. Um, 1980, Ronald Reagan becomes... Um, comes president, wins wins the election, and Jerry Falwell, um, who is one of the big-time leaders of the religious right, uh, it says uh, he was often fond of quoting this Harris poll that suggested that Carter would have won the popular vote by a margin of 1% had it not been for the religious right, and here's what Falwell says. I knew that I would have some impact on national elections, but I had no idea it would be this great. In other words, just this idea of it was the mobilization of the religious right, the moral majority, that led to, uh, you know, the election of Ronald Reagan and a lot of conservative political thinking today. A lot of the way that Christians vote and think today. But what we need to understand is this only goes back to about 1980, the mid 70s. So this is not like Christians have always voted this way. Right. Um, and it goes. It goes back to not what we've been told. It goes back to.
1: It goes back to racist Southern fundamentalist
0: fundamentalist saying, leave us alone. You can't make us uh, desegregate mm-hmm. and them not liking the federal government coming in and saying, which by the way was a very gospel centered idea that says, no, we can, you need to desegregate mm-hmm. like pushing back against that. And right. that's where it had its, its roots. Cause if they can come in and tell us to desegregate, they can tell us to do whatever. Right. And There's that no be end
1: them. to what the government can make you do,
0: but selling, Segregation to an entire nation of Christians was a hard sell. So, it was, what can we rally them around? Mm-hmm. Well, the family's fallen apart, and abortion is bad. And it's at that time that you hear, you know, James Dobson's on the radio with Focus on the Family just railing against the moral decay of America. Right. And it's all
1: about family values
0: um, and um, other, other christian leaders at this time like it's all the same language and so you're hearing that all the time you're hearing that in your churches because here's these resources that you can here's a voter guide oh oh, all the
1: democrats didn't answer
0: yeah um and and so then when you get to the 1980 election there's this momentum moving forward that says i'm a christian this is how i have to vote and that seems like it's continued and it's actually worsened each and every year Mm -hmm. um so much so that when it comes to election time christians aren't they're seen as nothing basically, but a voter block now. Right. It's like the evangelical voter block, like, and you can guarantee this is how the evangelical voters are going to vote.
1: Right. And you see political candidates hit on those issues that are, um, you know, hot for for Christians, for evangelical. I, I shouldn't say evangelical for uh, religious right and moral majority.
0: Right. Yeah. Like we'll
1: we're gonna champion abortion. We're going to you know
0: we're gonna play on fear. Right. Um.
1: Because. We are just, you know, one Supreme Court justice away. I think it's Marco Rubio. It's Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz. Ted
0: Cruz in the 2016 Republican primary, he said, "We are just one Supreme Court justice away from abortion on demand, from them chiseling the crosses and stars of David off of the." Uh, the, like the, the monuments, the monuments and, and graves of our fallen soldiers. This idea of be afraid, be very, very afraid, so right. you have to vote for it. Because us.
1: fear is a great motivator. Fear is like the uh, best motivator. Both both sides play to this. It yeah. isn't just a a Republican thing. It's a Republican and Democrat thing to try to mobilize their support their supporters.
0: Yeah. But what, what we're really saying is if you're a fear follower of Jesus, don't be a pawn to a political system. Like right. Don't don't let people scare you and take you and make you say, well, I have to vote this way. I have to vote this way. I have to vote this way. Because
1: what have we seen uh, in the last couple of weeks as we've been talking uh, about uh, kind of some politics and what do we know about human governments? The, The Bible tells us through different narratives that human systems of power become oppressive. They become beasts. Uh, We become Babylon whenever we give in to evil's allure for power. And the same is true for the moral majority and the religious right. They have given in to to evil's allure for power and what has happened in the meantime. People have been trampled and been dehumanized along the way.
0: And especially, it it never fails, that when those who are oppressed gain power, they end up usually becoming the oppressor themselves. Mm -hmm. And there's this idea that motivates the moral majority the religious right of... I mean, you heard it, heard it in some of those quotes. We, if we can harness this power, if we can get to a position of power, if we can get Christians and the religious right and the moral majority to have this place of influence and power, then we can do these things. But my question is, when throughout you know, Scripture, the church, Christianity in the last 2,000 years, when has the people of God striving to gain worldly power ever been like a good thing mm-hmm. or ever been condoned by God, God says, yeah, you go and do that. Right. I mean, anytime that Christians, the church has gotten into a place of power throughout history where it's been blended together with government, whether that was, you know, the, the Holy Roman empire, whether that was the church of England, whatever it is, it's bad. Mm-hmm. It's very, very bad. People die. People get hurt. People that disagree with whoever's in power end up killed. Like
1: the, the Plymouth colony. Yeah, it was a theocracy, and it was bad, really bad. Just dive into history, and so
0: this idea by Christians, perpetrated kind of by the religious right, of the way the way that we bring the kingdom of God is by seizing worldly power, Mm -hmm. it is so false to the way of Jesus, who shows us no. The way that you bring the, the kingdom of God is by giving up your power, Mm -hmm. by by using your authority not for yourself, not to gain power, but for the sake of the oppressed and the hurting and the broken. Right. Um, It's idolatry in its its purest form.
1: Uh, It's it's exchanging the truth of God, which is humility for a lie, the lie of of power. Um, And we just, I guess, want to encourage you with that, that that's what we see when we open up the pages of the Bible and not perhaps what you've been told. Right. so just take comfort in, in in knowing that.
0: Okay, one more thing on Bob Jones and Ronald Reagan because I couldn't I couldn't pass this up. Oh, please do. <laughs> please do. Uh, this is like a like a little P.S. at the bottom of this this article that was written. This so um, the school Bob Jones appealed the decision um, that they lost their tax tax exempt status uh, in 1982. Right, they're like, no, we should be able to do whatever we want. Give us our tax exempt back, even if we want to be segregated. The Reagan administration announced that it planned to argue in defense of Bob Jones University, um, but a public outcry forced the administration to reconsider. Reagan backpedaled uh, and said that the legislature should determine such matters, not the court's. Um, The court's decision in that case, Supreme Court in that case, handed down May 24th, 1983, ruled against Bob Jones 8 to 1. Like, no, you cannot be segregated and get tax-exempt status. We are telling you what to do Mm because this is wrong. They ruled 8 to 1. The one person who uh, voted against was William Rehnquist. That was the one justice. Three years later, Reagan elevated him to the chief justice of the Supreme Court. Boom. It's just like... Uh, <laughs> but no one... I never heard these things. Okay, right. here's here's what I was always told. I wasn't necessarily told. It's like no one sat me down and said, son, let me tell you all about how you... No, but it was the underlying approach. narrative. The underlying narrative was, I mean, whether it's like politically you know, as a conservative Christian, Ronald Reagan was like just slightly below Jesus. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you have to vote this way and you have to view politics this way. Uh, and again, please hear me saying this over and over and over again. I'm not saying you can't be a conservative Republican to be a follower of Jesus. You can be, but don't confuse the two. You don't have to be right. They are not the same thing.
1: Right. Um, yeah, the two are not mutually exclusive. Um, Phil and doing some research found uh, some interesting statistics that say uh, just how many white evangelicals or white Protestants in the United States are considered to be, you know, on the moral majority or on the right uh, versus, uh, you know, African American or other minorities Mm -hmm. being more on the
0: left. Yeah. So there's this there is this thought, right, because I don't know who's listening to this right now, but there may be some of you who are thinking because I've. I've heard this, like, said to me or argued, like, people who aren't Republicans or conservatives who claim to be Christian, well, they're not real Christians. Mm -hmm. Like, basically that, like, well, then they're just, they're confused and they've got it wrong. They're not real Christians. Like, that is so incredibly offensive to someone's faith in Christ and their faith walk. Mm -hmm. Um, But here's the really interesting part, is that overwhelmingly white evangelicals are conservative Republicans. Yes. However, um, Christians of color are not, right. They tend to be more left leaning and in the democratic party and not just that, but people who aren't evangelical. So Orthodox Catholic, a lot of mainline Protestants, the divide is a lot, uh, it's a lot more even as far as right versus left. Um, and so like, there's way, way, way too many, um, numbers to throw out there, but I just want to give a couple specifically as it relates to African Americans, um, in the United States and their view of religion, their view of scripture. Um, it's here, let's get back up to this, uh, a sizable, this is from Pew Research, I believe in 2018, a 2018 study from Pew Pew Research. (laughs) I can't say that Pew Research, uh, says a scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. We're so prepared Scrolling, for this. scrolling, 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 scrolling. Okay. More than half of the people in the United States, um, half of black people in the United States, 54%, both Christian and non-Christian, say that they read the Bible or other Holy Scripture at least once a week outside of religious services. Only 32% of white people would say the same thing. Uh, among Christian groups, 61% of those who are historically, who are part of the historically black Protestant tradition, read the scripture at least weekly. That's similar to um, uh, white evangelicals. A uh, sizable share of all black people, 77%, say that the Bible is the word of God, compared to only 57% of um, uh, white people in the country. Uh, and then, uh, this is also from Pew would say uh, evangelical Protestants, 56% are Republican, 28% are Democrat, and the rest are kind of somewhere in the middle, but historically b- black Protestant, only 10% lean Republican, while 80% lean Democrat. And then it was uh, Lifeway Research did a study in 2018 on just kind of like the where the theology of America was. They asked a whole bunch of questions. Over three thousand people polled, so you know you know how studies work. This many people polled. Here's the plus or minus of error, and just some of the questions they're asking to try to determine um, what would be called like uh, biblical orthodoxy. Like, what are your like orthodox beliefs or the, the core tenets of Christian faith? Um, and overwhelmingly, you go through some of these, and it's just like the highest percentage of people that are agreeing with these orthodox theological core Christian truths are African Americans. Right. Um, And I say that to say this, because you hold that intention with, okay, overwhelmingly, it's African Americans that are most likely to hold a high view of scripture, uh, um, a biblical view of family and marriage and values and the person of Jesus and his work on the cross, all these core ideas, when at the same time, they overwhelmingly vote for the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. Now, I only say that to say this, to prove this point, to be a follower of Jesus, you do not have to be a conservative Republican. Right. And to say that you do is a slap in the face and a huge disservice to our brothers and sisters uh, who are white and who are of color who vote a different way. It's basically saying you're not a real Christian because you don't see politics this way.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, we saw that in the 2016 election of Donald Trump when 81% of white evangelical voters uh, turned out and voted for Donald Trump. So,
0: Nothing more needs to be said there.
1: Nope. Um, so as we bring this to a close, uh, wh- where do we go from here? Or than just knowing that you don't have to be a Republican or Democrat to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, I don't think you should really fall in either camp.
0: No, because there's going to be certain things that you agree with on both sides and that you disagree with on both sides. And we've got to learn to walk in that tension. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's I don't even know what I want to say right now because I'm I'm kind of starting to – the more we talk about it, I get mad about this because I I know that there are are people who who hear this and write us off as like some sort of just liberal liberal hippie Christians um, when no, in reality we're not. I would say, not that I've voted that many times because I'm not that old yet, but the majority of my voting life has actually landed more on the conservative side. Mm -hmm. And some of that's just because, well, I thought to be a Christian, you had to be a conservative. The more I learn about Jesus, the more I'm like, I don't fit anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, So understanding that, no, like you, you can be a follower of Jesus and there's things on both sides that represent the kingdom of God. But there's also things on both sides that definitely Don't and no matter what political persuasion you may fall into, um, if you are super loud about championing championing your side whenever they do something that reflects the the kingdom of God, but you are not just as loud at um, calling out and criticizing your side when they do something that's antithetical to the kingdom of God, Mm -hmm. then you've stopped worshiping God, you're now worshiping your politics, right? Right, you should be just as loud. Um, against your political side, your political party, when they do something that goes against the kingdom as you are as loud for them when they do something that reflects the kingdom. Um, but here's what we tend to see. Uh, we have, you know, a re- we have air quotes, a Republican <laughs> in office right now. Um, kind of, not really by traditional conservatism at all. Um, I think of the
1: SNL skit.
0: Oh, church lady!
1: <laughs> Today we have two... Two people, we have Hillary Clinton and the other is a godless liberal Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, but anyway,
0: so I hear I hear a lot of um, conservative Christians that are all about pushing Trump forward for all the great things that he's doing, but then they're silent against all the things that he does and says that are against the kingdom of God. Right. At the same time, um, I hear a lot of progressive Christians just criticizing this administration like crazy and not ever pointing out anything good that happens. Flip that back to when Obama was was our president. Mm-hmm. One side was like, well, oh, he's awesome and he's amazing, and never point at anything that goes against the kingdom of God. Conservative Christians never said a nice thing about him ever. And right. It's like, no, like you've got to understand, and you have to be, if you're going to be someone who is loud politically, you need to be loud in the ways of the kingdom, and that is both for promoting what's good and calling out what is not right, good.
1: and I think a lot of that comes back to um, elevating politics above faith or letting politics inform faith instead of Jesus inform faith. Because um, if you're going to be truly pro life, that oh, means here it comes. that <laughs> it's, you, it's not just about abortion rights, you're about the rights of. All people, every single, everyone, life. adults, which gets over into the Democratic camp, which gets really, really messy because, like, oppression, well, racism.
0: I'm all refugees, about, you know, I'm
1: pro-life, but uh, really, I'm just pro-fetus and pro-baby.
0: Which is, and that that's part of where this comes in too, because on the religious right, we've made it; it is a one-issue ticket, right? Like to us, to so many Christians, that is the only thing that matters. Meanwhile, our brothers and sisters who have the opposite political perspective, who are more liberally leaning, are going, Well, what about all these other issues? Right. But we're
1: pro life too. But you know what? They have so much in common with those on on the right, just in terms of okay, let's let's set politics aside for a second, let's talk about faith. What are the things that we all agree on? And they those two have so much in common. But yet because of politics, we have decided to alienate those things in favor of our politics
0: I don't I don't have this this quote or this statistic in front of me but when you just said that it reminded me there was a study that was done of like people with different political views versus people of different faith views and like they, they ask a series of questions basically what was determined was I'm more likely to um, be able to get along and to uh, have a conversation, to like whatever, to have a relationship with someone who shares the same political view as I do, but a different faith view, than I am to be able to have a good relationship with someone that I share the same faith view but a different political view. Mm-hmm. Like that is no, as as Christians, if somebody else is a brother or sister in Christ, that trumps everything else. Right. You have
1: far more in common with them than. You know, whether they're a Republican or a Democrat. So let's remember that. Let's keep that uh, central instead of trying to— Phil's looking for a quote. I am. Instead of trying to um, you know, draw hard lines and alienate people. So
0: this is on—because uh, a lot of the religious right comes down to the issue of pro-life. And mm-hmm. by the way, before you criticize us, both of us are extremely pro-life, um, and we would say so in the sense of every single life. Right, right. I won't speak for Paul, but it's no, right. I. You're. You this can. is going to make a lot of people mad, but like for me, I, I am, I am pro-life. We should do everything. Both to sides the deck, of the aisle, every pro-life. Every single life, but that also means, uh, if we're talking abortion, I'm, I'm pro for the mother and understanding that abortion rates go up when poverty is up. So maybe we should talk about addressing poverty. Ooh. I know, I know. Come on, you that can't go there, I'm Phil. And I don't because think you're Because You're a white us. male
1: Christian, Phil. You can't talk about stuff like that.
0: I, I actually am. Pretty much against, like, entirely against the death penalty now, because I'm like, wait a minute, we can't just go killing people because that's that's a life. I mean, I am, I'm like basically a pacifist, okay? <laughs> Unless it means saving more life, because it's like, wait, if I'm gonna be pro life, I've gotta be pro life. I can't. Yeah, you, be gotta, pro- be lives. you I've can't gotta be consistent. You gotta be consistent. Right. But anyway, so on that topic, this is from the Lifeway Research. One of the questions, like they said, you know, this statement: abortion is a sin. The group, the the, the racial group that was most likely to agree with that. African-Americans are 61% more likely to agree than Asian-Americans, Hispanics, and whites by about 10%. Mm -hmm. And so it's like that just, but but then people are like, wait, 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 wait. How can they vote for the Democratic Party then? Well, because they're looking at more than just one issue. And again, it just keeps coming back to the same idea. Separate your politics and Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like see Jesus first, see faith first, and then try to find your way through your, through your politics and how we engage in, in a culture that is, you know, it's a, it's a Republic and we got to vote and people aren't perfect, but don't. Cause what we tend to do is I'm going to take my political leaning first and I'm going to try to cram Jesus into that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work.
1: No. And that's idolatry. It is. And, uh, just read, uh, the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> and just see what happens whenever people elevate just read idols. the bible don't just hold one
0: uh, <laughs> i had to go there yeah you did i did
1: and just yeah for a political stunt yeah to but appeal to the religious right sorry all right i think we need okay, to wrap we up. need to wrap it up so <laughs> at the end of the day here
0: here's what it is summary statements You can be a conservative, you can be progressive, you can be a Republican, you can be a Democrat, you can be a Libertarian, you can be all kinds of political things and be a follower of Jesus, Mm -hmm. but be a follower of Jesus first. Right. And there was something else that I was gonna wrap up with, but I don't remember what it was. Oh, the other thing was don't be a pawn. Don't Mm -hmm. be a political pawn.
1: Do do some research and know the roots of some of these movements, Um, because it's not what you think it is. you know, the, the religious right, moral majority, isn't really about morality. It was it has its roots in racism. Uh, so be aware of that. Call it out. Um, because as followers of Jesus, we can't stand for that. Right. So...
0: I think we're putting our, we're, we're I putting think we're wrapping, we're wrapping Thanks it up. Thanks for
1: listening once again for putting up with our ramblings, Our
0: ramblings and kind of rantings. And there was so much information we really didn't know how to boil it down well. So this is what you got.
1: Right, we didn't even touch on the fact uh, that America is a, a Christian nation.
0: Oh yeah, we were supposed. We're going to, gonna come, that. Back to that another, we're gonna come back to that
1: another another episode. Yeah. Um, so come back. So you like? No, not like. Click subscribe, Click subscribe and leave us a rating review. Share and, this uh, on your social media share channels. It. Let platforms. people know.
0: Yeah. So. Bye, everybody.
1: See ya.